If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. How many of you, this is, um, I don't know, this is, feels a little weird that I'm a, a missionary asking this, but how many of you have ever listened to a missionary present their ministry or, or talk about their field and um, we're sitting there thinking, man, is, is God calling me to go there? I can say this from our perspective, no matter how many times we hear missionaries speak, which is quite frequently missions conferences and stuff like that, almost inevitably, Autumn and I will look at each other and be like, are we supposed to go there? Like, you know, it's oftentimes God will will work in your heart and stir things up and and sometimes it brings questions about, you know, is is God actually want me to do that, you know? And maybe you know that's not what God wants for you, but but I guarantee there's probably times in your life when you pause and you think, is God asking me to do something? You know, is he, what, what's what's he want for me? And oftentimes it can be um, difficult because there's times in our lives when we genuinely want to know, Lord, what's your will for me? What do you want me to do? And we pray and we seek after God's will Um, We're wondering, you know, what is he calling me to do? Well, here in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus calling Peter into ministry. Um, And I think there's some important principles we can take out of how Jesus goes about calling Peter into ministry and see how um, we can apply that to ourselves. There's there's three things I want to draw out of this passage. I'll just share with them first first of all. Those things are, this is... That's okay. I'll just tell them to you. <laughs> you can write them down. Uh, the first thing is what it is that Jesus is actually asking them to do, the request of what, what Jesus is calling um, Peter to do. The second thing is we see the response from Peter. We see um, how Peter responds to this call to ministry. And the last thing that we're going to see is a reminder. And these things we'll draw out of here. But let's start off just by reading again Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray as the song that we just sang that you would speak this morning. Lord, that you would, through your word, speak to our hearts. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would receive all the glory. 
we thank you for this opportunity we have just to study your word and to be taught by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you um, enjoy, or maybe have you ever seen a movie where there is like this great battle scene and um you know right before the battle you've got the king or you've got the you know the general or whatever and he's given this great speech to the army right has anybody ever seen that in a film or maybe you know read about it in a book or whatever well that's not fiction you know that's that stuff really happened you know like William Wallace really did give a speech in front of his men before they charged you know to fight the English or whatever that's a real thing and the if you think about those moments when these men are given these inspiring speeches, you know, what doesn't happen is the, you've got the king standing in front of his army and saying, all right, guys, well, um, here's the plan for today. I'm going to have, you know, you guys, the, the, the archers, you can stand here, and the horsemen, you go over that way, and, you know, just give it your best. Let's, let's try our best. Okay, let's go. That, that, that wouldn't do very much. It's the way that they present, it's the passion that they give that, that really carries that army through the, the difficult times they're about to face. The Bible is filled with men and women who completely gave their lives to the Lord, sacrificed everything, endured such hardships. And for many of those men and women, we see the moment when they're called into ministry, when they're given that charge of what they're to do. And like I said, here we see Peter and how he's called into ministry. And what I want to focus on is partly what he's called to do, but even more so how he's called, the method that's used to, to, to call him into ministry. So the first thing we see when we have this request of Jesus, this call, if you were to look up Peter's call into ministry on like a Bible software or, or just Google search, how was Peter called into ministry? You'll get four different references for the four Gospels, right? You have Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, each record how Jesus called Peter into ministry. But interestingly, they're quite different from each other. So in Matthew and Mark, you have a similar story to this. Um, I'll, I'll read for you really quickly. Mark chapter 1, where we have the story of Peter being called into ministry, verses 16 to 19 say, um, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Notice that phrase, very similar to what we just read in, in Luke. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. That sounds very similar, but a lot of things are different there. See, in this story, they're out at sea fishing. Jesus is on the land, and he calls out to them, which is very different from the story we read in Luke, where Jesus is out on the boat with them, and they, and they cast this you know, amazing catch. So what's going on there? Is there, like, is there conflict? Is, you know, should we doubt you know, the, the Bible here? No. In the book of John, we have a completely different story. So in John... Andrew, who's Peter's brother, he is with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is preaching and teaching, and, and along comes Jesus, and John calls out, look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Andrew goes over to Jesus and starts talking to him, and he says, you know, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come with me, I'll show you. And so Andrew goes and gets Peter, and they go and they spend the day with Jesus where he's staying, 
And according to John, that's how Peter starts his ministry with Jesus. So again, what's going on here? What's, what's, is there conflict? Should we, should we be concerned? No. In fact, this really helps, I think, highlight and point out a truth of the Bible, which is that each of the books of the Gospels were written with a very specific purpose in mind. All of these events happened, but the, the Gospel writers chose to describe the ones that went along with their message. In fact, the book of John even talked about this. At the end of John, it says that if, if I were to write everything that Jesus did, the whole world couldn't contain it. He said, I chose the things I chose to write for this reason. And so the reason I'm bringing that out, I think this is helpful because the first thing that we see about how Jesus calls Peter into ministry is he calls him out of love. He calls him with love. Because when you think about it, here, Peter, this is the sort of the first time it when you're reading through Matthew, or reading through Luke, sorry, that it seems like Jesus is interacting with Peter, but we know from reading the rest of the Gospels, this is at least the fourth or fifth time that Jesus has interacted with Peter. So up to this point, Jesus has already, you know, I think chronologically the, the, the way that it makes sense is that John chapter 1, Jesus spending the day with Peter happens first. But then what's not recorded in John, but what we know happens is Peter then goes back to fishing. He goes back to normal life. At some point later, Jesus goes and sees him fishing, and he calls out to him and says, if you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter starts to follow him, but that's not a permanent thing. Eventually, he goes back to fishing again. And then in Luke, actually in chapter 4, we see that, I'll point this out really quick because I think this is interesting. Luke chapter 4, and in verse 38, it says that he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. This is before he calls him into ministry that we saw in 5. He enters Peter's house, and Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appeared to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. So at this point, Jesus has appeared to Peter multiple times and called him into ministry called him to follow him. He even goes to his home and heals his mother-in-law. And it wasn't until chapter 5 where finally Peter gets it. The point that I think, I'm, I'm, the point I'm trying to make is, Jesus pursued Peter. When you read through the Gospels, something that is inescapable is Jesus' love for his disciples. He loves his disciples. And you can see that like in John chapter 17, when, when Jesus is praying to the Father for his disciples, I'll just read a few verses. Verse 8 of John chapter 17 says, For I have given them the words that you gave me. He's talking about his disciples. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 13 says, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy, that they have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Just that whole chapter, you see Jesus' love for his disciples. In chapter 13 of John, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
He loved them. When did this love begin? Was it after these years of ministry? Did his disciples have to earn this love from Jesus? The answer is no. In fact, Jesus loved them before they did anything to deserve it, before they even knew who he was. And you see that when Jesus pursues Peter to get him to come and follow him in ministry. So the first thing we see about Peter's call is that he was called with love. The second thing we see is that he was called with authority. I think this is really the heart of what Jesus is doing in this miracle that he performs, is to show Peter his authority. The disciples, Peter and James and John and others, they were fishermen. That was what they were good at. That's what they knew. Um, They would have been experts. They knew how to fish. One of the things that they knew is that if you're going to be effective fishermen, the way you do it is you fish at night. And particularly in this part of the world at this time, it would get so hot during the day that the fish would go down much deeper, but then they would come up higher at night when it was dark. And so that's when you would fish is at night. Um, They knew that in order to to catch any fish, it had to be quiet and calm and dark. And so they spend all night fishing, and they don't catch anything. Here, Jesus is, um, appears, he, he, he finds these boats, and, you know, I think it's interesting. It, this isn't just like a, you know, a random occurrence. He's not just preaching and teaching and notices, oh, here's some boats. I'll use these real quick. Like, this is all very much planned in, in advance by God. And so there's these boats. He takes them out on the water with the fishermen. And, oh, it happens to be Peter, this guy that I, you know, I've been talking to all these several times. And as he, Peter has just been up all night fishing. I'm sure he's tired, but he follows Jesus anyway. Jesus tells him, hey, cast your nets out again. And you can see Peter's response. Peter says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. I wonder if there's a little bit of sarcasm when, when Peter calls Jesus master, because Jesus knew nothing about fishing, at least from, I mean, obviously he's God, so he knew everything about fishing, but he was, a, he was a carpenter's son. He had no experience with fishing. So where does he get off telling me how to fish? I'm an expert fisherman. And so he responds, master, you know, I, I wonder if that's a little sarcastic. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down your nets. You know, if you say so, sure. And, of course, what happens after this? They let down their nets, and they catch, and it says they enclosed a large number of fish. In fact, so much so that their nets were breaking. There was so much fish that two ships were almost sinking by the weight of these fish. I read an article about this that was um, trying to estimate how much fish it would take to almost sink two boats' worth. And they did all this math. I mean, they had all the math on this article of, you know, here's what the ships were like at that time period, and here's what their volume they could carry and everything. And it estimated that it would be about 62,000 pounds of fish, which is the equivalent of about 30 years of wages for each of the disciples. I mean, this is, this is literally like winning the lottery. They're, they're set for life. They never have to fish again. They never have to worry about their families again. Like, it's hard to wrap our minds around how incredible this was. This is a lifetime's achievement to catch all these fish. 
I think the point of this miracle is that Jesus is sort of defying their expertise. He's going against all their experience, all their reasoning to prove his authority. Because think about it. They they had spent all night fishing and couldn't catch anything when all the conditions were perfect. Here, it's hot. It's There's crowds, probably thousands of people around. They've already proven there's no fish in this spot. It's like everything is against them. All their experience, all their expertise is saying this is not going to work, and yet Jesus proves that he has the authority here. So Peter is called by Jesus by authority. Jesus proves his authority to him. I think one of the reasons this is so important, right at the outset of their ministry, is the disciples, for the next three years, will be following Jesus, doing things that they have absolutely no experience doing. They have no idea. You know, they're going to be teaching people. They're going to be, eventually, once Jesus ascends, they'll be like leaders in the church, and they have no, you know, theological training. They have no leadership experience. And I'm, I guarantee there are times in their lives when they're thinking, what are we doing how are we in this position? You know, there are so many people more qualified to do this than we are. And I think it's important at the very outset of their ministry, Jesus is showing them that it's not about your experience. It's not about your expertise. It's not about what you think you know. You can fish all night with all your experience and catch nothing. But if you follow my authority and you obey me, that's all I'm asking you to do. So Jesus, he's called with love, he's called, or Peter is called with love, and he's called with authority. The third thing we see is what Peter is actually called to do. He's called to a career change. So jump down to verse 10. It says that, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who are partners with Simon. And Jesus said to him, this is what Jesus is actually calling Simon to do, do not be afraid From now on, you will be catching men. That first phrase, from now on. The point is that this is going to start now, and it's not going to end. In other words, Peter isn't being called to give away some years of his life. Jesus isn't saying, Peter, for the next so many years, so many months, whatever, I need you to do this for me. It's important because Jesus is saying to Peter, from this point forward, this will be how your life is. That's true of of all of us. When Jesus calls us and gives us a purpose, that's not just a temporary thing. We're not just giving him some years of our life or some time of our life. This is Jesus saying, from now on, this is what I want you to do, Peter. He says that from now on, you will be catching men. We, We read in Mark chapter 1 and also in Matthew when Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it's a very similar phrase, so now when you'll be catching men versus fishers of men, but there's a little bit of a difference, and I think that's on purpose. See, in those other instances, when Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, the idea is, he uses the word fishers, you know, the same idea, to, be, to fish. You know, here's what you've just been doing. You've just been fishing. Well, I'm going to change your focus. It's no longer fishers of fish. Now it's fishers of men. It's like, it's like a reprioritizing on the things of the world. Now your focus is going to be on people, on eternal things, in men. 
And so the idea is, is this refocusing and, and reprioritizing. But here in Luke, it's a little bit different, the phrase, because Jesus specifically uses this phrase, catching. You will be catching men. I think it's interesting because when you study that word, it's the same word that's used over and over again in the Old Testament, in the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's used over and over again for what God does for the children of Israel. We read it oftentimes as he delivers them, but it's that same word, he catches them. And and I think that that choice of words is intentional by Jesus because he's pointing out that you will be used to deliver men, to, to rescue them, to catch them out of something. It is an incredible responsibility that Jesus is giving to Peter, that Peter is going to be used by God to save people from hell. But that's what he says, from now on, you will be catching men. I want to look at Peter's response to all this. The first thing you see about how Peter responds is he he responds with obedience. He didn't argue with Jesus. And, I mean, you look at the circumstance that he was in. He's been up all night fishing. He's tired. When, When Jesus comes, he's literally, like, cleaning things up. He's getting ready to go. He's wrapping things up. And yet Jesus calls him, hey, come out and take me out again. And who knows how long Jesus was teaching for, hours maybe, on this boat. And you just, I can imagine, if that was me in that position, I'd be like, can I just please go home? (laughs) Can we be done with this, you know? But when Jesus tells Peter to let your nets down for a catch, Peter obeys. He responds with obedience. Maybe he was curious of what was going to happen. Maybe it was inspired by the things Jesus had just been done teaching about, because we don't hear what Jesus teaches about but he obeys him. The second way that Peter responds is he responds with humility. I think this is just so interesting. So this this incredible miracle happens. Peter has just essentially won the lottery. He's set for life. Like, this is probably the best day of his entire life. Like, there is no circumstance he could have imagined when he was leaving the house that day that would have been better than this. You know, uh, like this is it. I'm, this is the best thing that could ever happen. And yet look at how he responds when this happens. So they catch this incredible amount of fish. They're set for life. And Peter's response in verse 8 is, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He says, I need you to leave, Jesus. <laughs> Get away from me. It's Like what? Why would he respond that way? He says, depart from me. Well, I think it's incredible all throughout the scriptures. When you see man coming face to face with God, this is always their response. They're always, I I do not belong here. Think about Isaiah. When Isaiah goes and he's taken up into heaven, he he falls on his face. He says, woe is me, for I'm a man of, of unclean lips. He recognizes immediately, I do not deserve to be here. I am sinful, and this is a holy God. And here, when Peter sees what Jesus does, that's his response, because I think he realizes whose presence he's in. He responds with, "Um, I do not deserve to be here. I am a sinful man. He recognizes his sin. So 
It's humility, seeing his place in response to God's place. The last way that Peter responds, he's, he responds with urgency. So here he's catched this, caught this incredible catch, a lifetime's achievement. And then in verse 11, it says, when they brought their boats to land, look at that, they left everything and followed him. They left it there. They didn't even take the time to go and sell it, to store it. Like, they left it at the beach. Because here the disciples realized what was being offered to them was actually even better than all of this fish. Even better than a lifetime's worth of wages. This opportunity to follow Jesus was worth more. You might look at that and think, wow, what a, what a sacrifice they made by giving up all of that to follow Jesus. And oftentimes we think of the sacrifice that we make as Christians. And even, you know, you hear stories of missionaries and the great sacrifices that they make. But I think that in some ways, that's not the, the best way to think about it. It wasn't that they made this great sacrifice. It's that they made the choice. They realized that actually following Jesus is better. You understand the difference? David Brainerd, um, a missionary, I believe it was a quote from him. No, it was David Livingston, Scottish missionary, who, who said, let it never be said that I made a sacrifice. You know, I left everything and lived in Africa my whole life, but that wasn't a sacrifice. I just realized that that was better. It's not a sacrifice. They didn't sacrifice. They just, made, they just understood that following Jesus was worth so much more than all of this. So, we've looked at how sort of the method that Jesus uses to call Peter into ministry. He called him with love. He called him with authority. He called him to a career change. Peter responded obediently. He responded with humility. He responded with urgency. But then I want to look at one more passage. And here we have a reminder. Jump with me to, to John Chapter 21. Here, the last um, book of John, so much has happened. We're fast-forwarding three years. And for the last three years, the, the disciples have been following Jesus through everything. They've left their families, they've left everything, and they've given their entire lives to Jesus. And then Jesus is arrested. And they're confused because they're like, this isn't what we thought was going to happen. He, you know, he's supposed to lead, you know, this new kingdom. But I'm sure something will, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll come through. And then he's killed. And, and you can imagine just the, the, the absolute heartache. And yeah, you know, you could talk about they should have known what was happening. Jesus literally told them this was going to happen. But that aside, the fact is they, they didn't understand. They, they lost. They were wrong in their opinion. We, we, we gave everything, and it was all for naught because now Jesus is dead. And you think about this, the roller coaster of emotions, because then three days later, 
he's, he rises again. And, and he appears before them. And, and just like all the emotions they must be feeling because he, he talks to them, but then he disappears again. And so then they're spending this week just sitting in a room like, what do we do now? What do we do now? I mean, everything we thought was going to happen didn't happen. Jesus died. Now he's alive. Now he's gone. Is he coming back? What's happening? And so they're literally hiding in this room, waiting to see what happens. And then we come to verse chapter 21. So they've been sitting there in this room waiting to see what happens. Verse 2 says that Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin Nathaniel, Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Debedee, and the two others of the disciples were together. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And you can just imagine them like sitting there twiddling their thumbs like, what do we do? And of course, it's Simon. It's always Peter. You know, he, he pipes up, let's go fishing, guys. I'm going fishing. And they all join him. And it says that um, they went out in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And so, again, you, you put yourself in his place and their places, and they're up all night. They're fishing. You know, you kind of wonder if maybe thoughts going through their mind of, you know, this kind of feels good, getting back to, to normal life, you know, like getting back into the swing of things. This, this feels it's like, just like old times. And, of course, they don't catch anything, and you almost wonder, you know, are they making excuses for themselves? Like, oh, it's okay, you know, we're, we're a little rusty. We haven't, you know, gone fishing in, like, three years. We'll, we'll get back into it, you know, we'll, we'll get better at it. Kind of help, you know, encouraging each other or whatever. So that all night, they don't catch anything. And then it says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. So he says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, then you'll find some. And I almost wonder if maybe in Peter's mind there's like a little bit of like, this, this feels kind of familiar, you know? Been up all night, haven't caught anything, and now there's this man telling us, we'll try one more time. And so, of course, they do it. And it says, now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And John turns to Peter and says to Peter, it's the Lord. And look at Peter's response. When Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. So you just imagine all, all the chaos, you know, all these disciples running around and all these nets and like, whoa, you know, what's going on? They're trying to haul these fish in and, and all this chaos is happening. And they just hear a splash because Peter has literally jumped overboard to swim to sea, to swim to the shore. Because Peter remembered how Jesus had called him this exact same way three years before. And you wonder if it was guilt of thinking, what am I doing? Why am I doing this right now? This is what Jesus called me from all those years ago. As you think about your life and how God is calling you and what God wants you to do, I can't, by the end of this message, tell all of you what God wants for your life. That's not, that's not my place. But when you look at the method that Jesus used to call Peter and to give him 
what Peter, what Jesus wants Peter to do, I think there are striking similarities with how I know God has called you. Because make no mistake, God has called every single one of you. That's not a unique thing that, that pastors and missionaries experience, this call of God. Um, I mean, there is a call into ministry, but when it comes to God's will and God's call for service of him, every single one of you have been called if you know Christ is your Savior. So thinking about that, what, what does God want me to do? How does he want me to respond to the gospel? All these things are true. God has called you out of love. Think about verses like Romans 5, 8. God showed his love for you and that while you were still a sinner, he died for you. We, you read through the Gospels and you see Jesus' just incredible love for his disciples. But that is the same as his love for you. Think about Ephesians chapter 1. It says that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. I'm not trying to get into all the, the discussion of predestination and election and things like that, but look at the truth of what these verses are saying. God loved you so much that before the world was even founded, he chose you. Jesus loved the disciples long before they did anything to earn it, and that's the same for you. He has loved you before you did anything to deserve it or anything to earn it. Jesus says, no man has any greater love than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. No one could ever love you more than Jesus loves you. It's impossible. I think that is a key component when you're thinking about what does God want for my life? We need to dwell on how much he loves us. He called you with love. He called you with authority. God is not asking you to be an expert. He's not asking you to have all the training and all the education, and he's not asking you to rely on your own talents and abilities. When you are trying to follow God's will for your life, I guarantee there'll be times when it's like, I don't know, I'm not good at this. Like, there are so many people who would be better at this than I am, whatever it is God's calling you to do. And I guarantee that there's times the disciples thought that way. But the whole point of how Jesus called Peter, the whole point of how Jesus calls you is to point out the fact that it's not about you. It's not about your abilities. It's not about your talents. It's just about obedience and that you trust in him and his authority. So he calls you out of authority. He calls you to career change. I don't know exactly what God has called each of you to do, but I know that he has called you to change your priorities from the things of this world to the things of eternity. I know that he has called you to go and make disciples. And how that looks in your life, I don't know. For us, that means moving to Scotland and starting a church. And I don't know what it means for you, but I guarantee that is what he has called you to do, to be catching men from now on. And that is an awesome responsibility. It's scary, but it is so exciting that 
God's master plan of deliverance, of saving his people that we see all through the Bible, he has chosen you to be his tool to do that. So whether it's your, your neighbors, the people that you work with, or someone around the world, God is calling you to go and make disciples. Maybe it's someone right here in church. I know that. Again, I don't know the specifics of how that works for you, but God has called you to a career change, to a reprioritizing. And we need to respond like Peter. We need to respond with obedience. Even in times when it's like, I just, I just can't anymore. I'm just tired. I just need a break. When you know God's calling you to keep going, we need to respond with obedience. And we need to respond with humility. All throughout the Bible, when people come to realize who God is and his holiness, and they realize their own sin, this is their response that they say, I don't deserve this. If you are here today and you have never reconciled, never thought about and dealt with the fact that there is a holy, perfect God and there you are sinful and those don't go together. Those don't jive. That's what Peter realized. I, I, I'm sinful. He's holy. We can't be here together. That's true of you. If you've never thought about that, like, I am sinful. I cannot be in God's presence. The only solution to that is the blood of Jesus who covers you, and who makes you holy in front of God. If you've never accepted that, today's the day to do that. To respond with humility and respond immediately, realizing the worth of following Jesus above anything else. Something we need to respond to right away. Finally, just this reminder. Perhaps you're here this morning and, and you can remember a time in your life when you know, you were really following Jesus. You were really on fire. You were really making it a priority to make disciples. And you had people in your life that you were trying to meet and trying to reach with the gospel. And, and you can remember that. But maybe over time, you've gone back to fishing. You've gotten back in the boat. Maybe now, today, is a reminder or perhaps Jesus is on the shore and calling to you and saying, hey, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? And just reminding you of what he's called you to do. If that's you, I pray you'd respond this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that it can be so encouraging to us and so challenging for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us, each one of us, to recognize what you are calling us to do, to go and to make disciples, to be your tools to rescue people from sin and from death. Lord, I thank you for that awesome responsibility. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to respond like Peter. We love you, Lord. We ask that you would receive all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray.